Gentlemen, start your engines. This is going to be a mighty emotional occasion for a lot of people, not the least of whom is myself. In a race to remember. But this is absolutely gobsmacking. Yeah, he hasn't even hit the brake yet. G'day, I'm Dan Hollihan. Welcome to my motorsports podcast, On the Couch with Hawley. Michael Seller is the owner of Mega Cash in Penrith and is a rising star and team owner in Australia. He's been mentored by the likes of Robbie Farr and World of Outlaws American racer Aaron Wiesel. Let's get into it. Mick Seller, welcome to the podcast, dude. How have you been? Yeah, been unreal. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, you actually were um, struggling to get here in the traffic, were you? We were a bit, we were a bit late today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit of a trek out here, but um, and the streets in the city when you're out, out west, there's uh, a lot more parking than in here, but yeah, managed and we're here, so get yeah. the show on the road. Yeah, let's get the show on the road. So, dude, you've literally been travelling um, outside of New South Wales with your, with your race team, you and your dad, um, pretty much with you and Robbie Farr the last few weeks. How's that been? Yeah, it's been awesome. Like the the experience, the knowledge you you learn with one of the ver- veterans, and I'm sure probably all famous one day of the speedway world to have Robbie in our car has just been really really cool. And the fact that I get to step back has just been even cooler because you you're still invested in the car. It's obviously your car, your equipment, so you want it to do well. Yeah. Got that same passion to win, mm. but me personally don't have the pressure of getting in the mental mindset to prepare for a race. So. Um, it's been really cool. Yeah. Did you, um, did you find it interesting going from like Robbie when he's driven it to you hopping in the car the other week? Um, changes or anything like that? We were, we were a little bit different. Um, just, I suppose, driver preference, what he's used to. And then obviously what I've had Mm. in my short career as well. So there was a lot of things that I could learn and, and see what he ran. It's obviously the, the fundamentals of our programs the same across all our cars. So that part's pretty similar. Mm. It was just, I suppose, minor personal preferences. Um, in how aggressive he would go and set up to chase the track uh, throughout the night compared to what I would, those sorts of things. Yeah. How'd you find like, obviously for everyone as a race car driver and athlete, lockdown, coming out of it and obviously having no parameter speedway, how'd you find preparing yourself to go out of state and stuff like that? Um, it was hard. Ironically, actually during the lockdown period, I, I went on a big diet myself and, and lost 15 kilos, which actually put me in really good shape to start when I did a few races mm. out of the, the previous lockdown about a year ago. Yep. Um, in saying that though, obviously I sort of got a bit lackluster, uh, got married, I suppose you can say, went yeah. back to let myself go a bit, but um, yeah. no, it was still good, but it was really, really hard. And I think the hardest part was I actually got COVID. Um, yeah, right. Literally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally a week before I went away racing. So yeah, okay. I got our lockdown on a Tuesday. We left Wednesday morning to go race uh, Wednesday night. Yeah. Was this in Victoria or Queensland? That was in Queensland. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was so hard. Yeah. That was so hard. I had my old man just going, oh, maybe you're not race fit. And I said, I'm telling you, like when I can't <laughs> breathe, my chest is tightening up so much. Yeah. It was really, really hard. Those first two um, weekend just gone, felt a lot better. It still wasn't great because yeah. obviously, as you probably know, it's race fitness. You can yeah. do so much, but it's still really different. Yeah. So. And these sprint cars, obviously I've had Max in this year and a few other race car drivers like Joey has the S5000. They're a really hard thing to drive these sprint cars, aren't they? Yeah, they're just... The most raw piece of machinery um, with so much power and you just, the definition of being up on the wheel is, is what it is. Um, it's so demanding, like physically and everything. And it was actually ironic. I was speaking to Jake Kostecki, um, with yep. his cousin Brody, who ran on the weekend against us at Toowoomba. Yeah. 
And um, I said I had Brody find it, and he said once he got used to the speed, he felt all right. So yeah. he said his eyes had to adjust. Is yeah. that true? So your that's eyes what he have told to me. adjust. Yeah, that's what he told me. It's um, look, your top speed isn't high, right? You're only yeah. doing. I don't know. They used to say you're doing like 160, 170 on the back straight at Parramatta. Yeah, but it's just how quick you get there, how much is going on, the different surfaces you're driving on, and I still remember my very first race at um, Valvoline Raceway. Yep. Uh, rolling out for the heat, the downforce, like I reckon the top of my neck hurt just from how much downforce you had. So that's the biggest thing I reckon that you really feel yeah. in the cars. Yeah. Well, we've gone a bit into your sprint car career, but I want to know, and I, I want to know about the real mix seller. Like how did you grow up? I know your dad, you know, Mark is, is quite good and your, your, your sister, Kim, you know, your family's full into your race and they support you hundred percent. I want to know how you grew up and how you got into racing. Um, so I think dad somehow got a go-kart, I suppose, how all those stories start. Yeah. Um, and then I was always just playing junior footy. I was, I was quite a big kid. So, yeah. you know, big young kid, go play footy is the, yeah, the yeah. standard thing. Yeah. Um, and then we, we just started racing at Lithgow, mm. uh, standard club days. And at that point, dad actually rode Shane Piper's wheel at the Clyde Marshall. Yeah, right. Some wow. year, I think I was like six. He broke his vertebrae. I was at the track by myself. My uncle had to drive to Lithgow. So I was just with people I didn't know. And that actually took a real big uh, yeah. hit on me when I was young. And I, I didn't want to race anymore. Yeah, right. Wow. So I think I didn't race for maybe two years and then and then um, mm. slowly built up the confidence yeah. for it. But I still remember being real young. So I probably was eight. And, mm. you know, we were ready to go to Wollongong for a club day. And I decided, no, nah, I don't want to race. I'm scared. But really? Still, still wow. just from that, I was you, a bit of a wimp back in the day. Yeah, right. Do you remember much of your dad's kart racing? Like everyone has their, their way like of, of going through the ranks and, you know, someone in the family. But do you remember going to the track much with your dad when you were younger or was it just, just specifically that memory before? Yeah, probably just specifically that memory. I suppose from when he turned his interest into me and, and things went from a bit more of a hobby to more serious there, mm. those memories are so clear and they'll probably last a lifetime, yeah. the relationship you get with your family in motorsport. Yeah. Um, but as far as that, I'm pretty sure it was just, you know, a bit of club day fun. Yeah. You actually failed your OLTs as a, as a junior at the start, didn't you? You actually struggled. Yeah. To, you were you're that nervous to get into kart racing because of your dad's accident, I was, I'd say. Yeah. You actually were like, you, you scared yourself. That was genuinely hit. So it's quite ironic. I reckon I'm the only person in karting history to fail their <laughs> OLT um, at the late great um, Park. Park. Yeah. You had to turn right, obviously, um, once you come off the bridge to go into the horseshoe. Yep. And I just thought I'd just keep going straight and skip the horseshoe every time. And apparently they were <laughs> waving at me to, to take the right-hand turn. And I was like, no, nah, I'll just take the shortcut. I've played Mario Kart. I know how this works. <laughs> and that's how you did it. But at least you wanted to go fast, man. You wanted to go yeah. the quickest round around Oran Park. Yeah, that's it. So with your karting career, I started with Kart 1 and True Hunt and so on and Parramatta Kart Warehouses, you know, because we, we grew up at the same go-kart track. What was the teams that you were with in your go-karting career at the start? So uh, Dad's actually always had a close relationship with Ian Black, who yep. owns IKD. So a lot of our karts were just through Ian, so we didn't race for a specific team pretty much all the way up until we, we pretty much ended. Um, mm. So we, 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 whatever chassis Ian brought in, we ran, which was Swiss Hutless early days. We actually did, sorry, we went to Arrow Karts uh, mm. in juniors because that was just an Australian kart for an Australian motor and, um, yeah, 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 just that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, being J engines. And then we followed on to Xpree in yeah. OTK. And then we actually ended up with um, Karting World and Tom Williamson at the very end. Yeah, right. How'd you find Tom Williamson? He's been mentioned a lot in all my podcasts. He seems to manage to hit every talented driver that I know on this podcast. Did it, was he, is he a good mentor? Was he a good mentor for you? Um, I think he was a good mentor in terms, at that point, we were actually really close with Troy Farley and he actually did a lot for my career in terms of 
my outright speed and whatnot. Yep. What I found at that point when we moved to seniors, I was just getting outraced mm. like no tomorrow. And that experience and the confidence having being under Tom Williamson was huge. Mm. I, I felt like I could make moves and if I'd rub with someone and someone came barking at me, he'd be the first person there telling him where to go. And I felt like having that behind you and learning that racecraft from him was really, really big yep. um, in my later stages of my career. But obviously the um, precision and the speed that came from Troy and Lorraine Farley was, was really fundamental as well. Yeah. And you actually also gave um, carts on dirt ago as well, didn't you? Yeah, that was a bit of a side thing as well mm. uh, for a bit of fun. We always went to the Speedway for, for years. And when mm. we found out that was a case, we gave it a go. It was good fun. It was just more um, relaxed as well. And then obviously anything that you have success in, it's easier to keep rocking up every yeah, week as well. So Yeah, yeah cool. So you, you've done you did your Speedway thing and then obviously you've had, Troy, you said Troy Farley and Lorraine Farley were a big thing to your career. Can you explain a bit on that? I think just, like I said, obtaining that one lap speed at the time when we had our most success moving into Rotax Heavy, you actually had Pierce who was Rotax Light. So essentially you had him and all his knowledge that we were sort of getting to some extent as well, motor-wise, mm. they ran the same carts. So that was just really, really big. At that time, in that period, it was pretty much TF race engines were the most dominant Rotax engine there was. Yeah, I remember um, that. So when we were first-hand of that, essentially, you know, one of the main guys, a part of that team, it was really, really critical in how fast we were. Mm. And we knew there'd be certain weekends that Troy would come away, that he, he wasn't running the whole team and, and just help us. And they were even more successful weekends as well, just regarding cart setup and those sort of things. Yeah. So that helped you obviously win a national title, didn't you? You won a national, was it Rotax Heavy? Yeah, Rotax Heavy in 2013. I'll, I'll never forget that day. Can you explain a bit like that emotion to win like a national title? Because it is bloody damn hard, especially back then. You were racing Brendan Nelson, Troy Woolston. Who else were you racing? Uh, Kel Tresseter, Matt Wall, uh, yeah. Lee Michener. It was just the older guys that have been racing forever. They all had the that veterans. many. Yeah, the yeah. veterans. Um, you know, and you'd obviously see at that point, vice versa, you'd have Rotax Light. That was all the young guys, crazy fast, but then... You know, you'd often see someone like Dave Sarah would be able to outrace them mm. a lot. We were just in the deep end, and, and we was probably the opposite. We sometimes had speed on them, but just didn't have the, the race craft, and I suppose that's where Tom filled in. Yeah. And to win that title was just huge because to some extent I was the young kid on the block. Yeah. They probably didn't really like it to some extent. And then to, to win was just crazy because I think growing up, you might have been similar. Yeah. I reckon until – we maybe got to that point. I didn't even, never dreamed of even having a green plate. It was, I just wanted a blue plate. I just wanted a blue plate and you got that and still didn't really think you'd get the number one on, but there's something about putting the number one on your card or cars. What was, what was your favorite chassis? Cause some people have favorite chassis. Did you prefer any certain chassis or did you have like a certain cart that you would, or even you might still have now that you've kept? No, we, we never actually kept any in that particular time with our racing program, we'd actually um, update those OTK carts pretty, yep. pretty much every four or five races. Yep. And for that Rotex Nationals, that was a brand new cart. So we found um, they just get softer. Yeah. And we sort of knew our baseline every time if we just kept having a, a new chassis at that point, we wouldn't lose our way and be uh, yeah. altering setup to allow for a softer chassis. Um, so yeah, I didn't really get too attached to them. <laughs> <laughs> did your dad, um, did your dad enjoy you at that stage after you'd won the national title was he was like, let's kind kind of make a career out of car racing. To be honest, I think we actually somewhat gave up on it a bit earlier because in, in the junior career, you obviously versus guys that took the step, uh, yeah. whether it was to Europe earlier than what we did. 
Yeah. So you sort of can get caught in that thing where you just end up racing carts forever and be successful yeah. at it, and you've sort of missed the boat. And I feel like you see that every year now. I still keep my eye on it, a little bit on it. The age is getting younger and younger and younger. So what I think Jack Dill might have done one year in juniors where it used to be yeah. 10 years ago, you'd probably do one year in seniors and then take yeah. that route. So I think it's just a sense of achievement, like what dad loves. Like when you I, – I definitely don't think I'm a – really naturally gifted at anything. I feel like I just have to work for it. Mm. So to put in so much time and know where we were a year ago on Rotax Pro Tour, then to see that you've actually conquered something uh, just makes it all worthwhile. And that was probably the best part about it. Yeah. Talking a bit more about your dad, your dad started MSP shop fittings. I've, I don't know much about the business, but can you actually explain your dad's business and how he got to where he is and how he's helped you with you, with your career? Yeah. Business? Ob- obviously in motorsport, nothing comes without a price tag. So no, to, to it's have, an expensive sport. It is. Um, and to have someone that's obviously my dad yeah. um, funding it all and, and, mm. and working his ass off to some extent yeah. to be able to pay for it um, has been really beneficial to my career, obviously. Mm. He does shop fitting. So essentially all your shop renovations, new shops, whether they range from, you know, uh, within shopping centers, Westfields, uh, does a lot of like mecha chains, um, mm. doing reject shop chains at the moment. So fitting all those out, has obviously kept up, kept my racing career afloat to some extent. Yeah, he's obviously never been selfish at all because he could be living a yeah. fair bit better life than what he <laughs> is now. But he, um, I suppose, he just works as hard as he needs to, depending on how good or bad we run and what damage there is throughout the years. <laughs> Does he keep an eye on the Bulldogs? Because he actually got me into the Bulldogs as a fan, if if you remember years ago. Yeah, is, is he still an avid Bulldogs fan? Yeah, he still loves it. Um, ironically, having the first shop in Penrith and the the city morale about it for yeah. the last three years when they've been going better. I'm like, Dad, I'm not going to be a bandwagon follower, but I think I, you know, yeah. I might just get on the, get on the town and, and get amongst it. He's like, no, nah, you're a Bulldogs fan. I said, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not telling you I'm trading. I said, I just yeah. might, be, have, might have two teams now. Yeah. So yeah, he still loves it. Yeah. What did you think about the, uh, if you've got the Penrith shirt on now and this will go on YouTube, yeah. um, what did you think about Penrith's win after losing the first one and come back to win the second one? Was that massive around the whole Penrith area during lockdown and all that type of period? Yeah, it was really, really big. For me, irrelevant teams, drivers, all those things, I love those stories. When you see some, mm. someone fail, heartbreak, and you see how they come back. I always think of the mental side, yeah. how you prepare yourself. Because I've known in similar situations myself, it's really, really hard to come back from those things. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that was really, really cool. The fact that they bounced back, and yeah, the town was was crazy. Yeah, didn't that Valvoline race? So back in the day, they actually invited a few um, NRL stars at some point, or was that just before you got going? Just before I got going, but I'm pretty sure Anthony Minicello had a ride in Toby Belbone's car or yep. some, something along those lines. I think. Yeah. Do you remember actually your first time ever going to a racetrack as a kid? Do you remember a certain specific moment? So for me, for example, I I remember Larry Perkins, Russell Ingle winning Bathurst. Right, that was yep. my first memory. What was your first memory? That got you into car racing? The only real memory I have, I know I went to Oran Park a fair bit for supercars and whatnot, but my most mm. vivid one would be um, World of Outlaws down under mm. at um, uh, Valvoline Raceway. We had to sit on the back straight because it was at full. Mm. And um, I just remember Kerry Madsen driving a blue and uh, flurry yellow car, and he actually won that night. Yeah. But I, I don't the think I remember his car. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I remember at the time that he did win. Um, but I remember buying a shirt, and I had this tiny kid shirt. Yeah, I'm um, still actually my wardrobe that I only found when I moved out of home yeah, six months right. ago. So it was still up there somewhere. 
yeah, so that was the first memory there. How do you, how do you, have you found like living out of home with your girlfriend? I've, I, I've done my research on you, right? So how are you? Not that good, it's wife. <laughs> wife, that's true, that's true. <laughs> She'll be listening, so yeah. I fix that up. <laughs> so your wife, but your actual um, brother-in-law, he's a, he's a barber, isn't he? He's a pretty handy barber. Yeah, yeah, he's doing really, really well for himself and um, got something cool going, which is Barber on the Run, yeah. Um, which is really cool to see. He actually, uh, there was deals in the pipeline that he was be- he was going to be doing haircuts for um, Tickford Racing whilst they were in their little bubble. Yeah, that right. No it way. Didn't, didn't come through through some two through a few yeah. technicalities regarding Sydney Motorsport Park and the, and the whole restrictions thing. and the bubble that they had when they did those four races. But mm. that would have been pretty cool to see Tickford looking the Tickford <laughs> looking, looking the freshest out of the whole pit lane. <laughs> yeah. So how did you actually meet your girlfriend or your wife? Now um, we went to school together. Yep. And then it was just one of those things that um, just teed up. Later on, I suppose, mm. um, it's pretty cool that her family's had somewhat of a motorsport interest and, and supercar fans. Yeah, right. So um, she came and watched a few times. And, and whenever you have that connection or have someone that knows a bit about your passion, it always helps yep. as well. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of how it yep. got going. And, yeah, the rest is history sort of thing. Who does the – I've seen, like, footage of your, of your Instagram. Who does the um, the stickers? Is, is it actually your wife and, and your brother-in-law that's doing the stickers in the shop and helping around the shop? In there, or is that, or is that, is that a full time staff member? Um, so for the stickers, in in terms of yeah, the, was that was that your brother in law? <laughs> what I'm just talking no, about, the no, 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 it wasn't no. Your so yeah, that's um, so all that stuff that we do is um, in house. The stickers we just get outsourced through yep. uh, vinyl wrappers and whatnot. Yep. Um, and yeah, Taylor's always working hard to make sure the cars looking Mickey Mouse. We we tell her she can just come and enjoy to watch, but yeah, yeah, she's always um making the car look good. Yeah, you actually, yeah, you had a huge rollover the other week. Did you actually? I didn't actually speak about this on other podcasts, but rolling over in a sprint car compared to like a race car where you more so lie down and you're sitting up in like a bus type of chair. What's the feeling like when you first roll over? It's pretty crazy. I suppose every crash is different to some extent. Some crashes are hard. Some are just fast, and you literally feel like you're somewhat on a on a roller coaster. Yeah. And then it, it digs in. I know the crash that happened on the weekend. I didn't think it was going to be that big. I, I naturally shut my eyes, opened them halfway through, and, and I seen sky, and I thought, oh, it's, it's not over yet. And <laughs> and then rolled another three times. So yeah, thankfully we've never taken shortcuts on safety stuff, and and touch wood, we've never yeah had an, had any issue or any injury. So. Yeah. yeah, it's just part of the game, I think. So you were mentioning before in the podcast that Glenn Savile and Ian Savile helped you out. How was that helping you out for your first, I think was it five shows at, at the start that you did at Parramatta? Yeah, correct. So like any motorsports, a big investment to own anything yourself. So mm. uh, we we knew Ian a little bit through um, karting and obviously he used to own Karting World prior to when we raced for them. Mm. Uh, so essentially we bought a rolling chassis off Ian, which was one of Glenn's old cars, and then we just leased an engine off mm. them at the point for five nights just to sort of not go into something too crazy. Yeah. Um, Cause everything's at uh, another level up, you know, you have a go-kart it might be worth, you know, 10, 12 grand and yeah. whatever the spares you have where you just buy a rolling chassis and that's worth 16 grand, let yeah. alone what you spend on an engine. So yeah, that was really cool just to give us some guidance because it's most, most speedway races, their dad race sprint cars or mm. have something along those lines that, the sun just stepped straight into. Yeah. We had nothing, so we were you were just, yeah, just fresh, yeah, <laughs> yeah ready to fresh. go. <laughs> how, so uh, after your first season, you got to explain bit by bit how, as you've said to me, it got more and more intense over the years. So in your next season, how did you go? You, I think you won the rookie of the year, didn't you? Yeah, we won rookie of the year. So the requirement was you couldn't race any more than five races in a prior to mm. qualify for rookie of the year. So we didn't actually think of that. That's just how it lined up for that following year, and that was cool. 
we we ran all right. We probably made a couple A mains. That's obviously the objective when you're starting out. There's you know 50 cars that enter a night and only 24 make the main event. Yeah. So that was cool to do that. You know, we just had one chassis, uh, one motor, a couple spares, um, and just a small Pantech truck. So mm. that was sort of year one, and then obviously we've just evolved, over evolved, time. and yeah. And I think year two, you know, you invest in an, another chassis. Uh, still run the same motor. You start to get faster, so you think you're getting somewhere. And the, and the hardest part with Speedway, it's so up and down. And you have experienced guys tell you, oh, don't worry, it's a five-year apprenticeship. And you think, five years? Are you serious? Surely not. Like, <laughs> um, took me, you know, a couple of years in a different yeah. class in karting. And you're at the front. Like, it can't take this long. And, yeah. and I think it's longer, to be honest. When do you when do you get your first aim? Was your A-Main win in your third year or your second year? Uh, A-Main win was in my fourth year, actually. Yeah. Okay. So the end of my fourth year. So it was about it, a year off then. Yeah. So <laughs> in year four... We um, probably weren't ready for it, to be honest, but we decided to take on the road and join World Series Sprint Cars, yep. um, which travels around Australia. And a lot of people said, you know, don't do it. Mm. You're just going to burn yourselves out. You're going to spend so much money. You're going to come back with no confidence. And to be honest, we, we sucked on a lot of it. Yeah, we yeah. weren't good. But, yeah. we but you came, learned in the hard way. Yeah, that's right. And um, we came back and um, ironically, two races later, we won our first main event, um, which was really really cool just to again come through all the hardship and then you at least know that you got something out of it yeah the confidence sort of evolved obviously to go on the road the program upgrades huge you know it goes from having obviously one or two cars to then two complete cars and a spare one we've got a spare motor all those things were sort Mm. of upgraded to go on the road but it's just the hardest part about it is you're just traveling so much we're doing it ourselves Mm. you don't have a full-time crew member Yep. And up against, you know, there's three or four teams that the crew chief's paid as a full-time job. They've got paid other crew and their drivers, a full professional paid driver as well. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty How did you find out? I've seen a lot of Toby's content recently. Yep. He followed you down on Sprint Car Hub. How was that for, um, was he documented it? How was that your dad and yourself pretty much driving down from New South Wales to Victoria at that point to being ready for that race meeting? Well, that was with Robbie, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was the start of the classic week. We always planning to build a new car for Robbie and there's currently just with everything going on, there's massive backlogs in parts and all those sort of things to obtain. So we were actually finishing that car still off in the late hours of Tuesday night. Yeah. We're still getting it stickered. The sticker guy left at uh, 1am. Yeah. Right. Uh, Dad locked the shed up. <laughs> Literally when it had a shower, I was back at home at, at 2am and we left. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. The fact to have it videoed mm. as raw as what it was, like it wasn't a, a fake time put on it that it was filmed two days yeah. before. It was literally filmed 12 hours later. We go down the road, drive to Avalon, and then podium was mm. was really, really cool. Yeah. And you, your sister, Kim, actually dated a, a karting champion, Chris Hayes. He was actually, this is just for memory, he was actually pretty, crewing for you at some stage at Parramatta when, when your sister and him were dating, weren't they? Yeah, he, he used to help out. Um, yeah. Obviously, they've gone their separate ways now, but it, it's always been really cool that Kim's always remained so close to yeah. my racing. She's my only sister. Or, or brother or sister, she's the only one I got. So yeah, how have, is she now? Is she is she what's she doing in, in the Gold Coast? Um, so she's managing a swim school, doing yep. well for herself. Um, she obviously had the option a fair few years ago to come back home and decided to stick it out, which is really really cool. Not to you know give up on her life back there and just come back. Yeah, I'm sure at some some points, mum and dad would love her back here. But the fact that we're racing Queensland and obviously we've seen her on the weekend again and. Yeah, and she loves coming to the track. I suppose is really good the fact that we're still doing it. Yeah, as a she family. she was always an avid supporter of your karting, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she still loves it now, and yeah. it is good. I suppose it'd definitely be times that I probably don't appreciate it enough. 
Mm. And, and it could be one of those things, you know, they often say you appreciate things when it's too late, but just the fact that we're always together and, and it might not seem like good quality family time to, to other people, but I think it is for, for yeah. us. So can you explain your, um, your, your friendship and relationship with your family with Robbie Farr? He, he helped you with your, your sprint car school at the start, didn't he? Yeah. So I think that would have been year three. Yep. Uh, he created the Robbie Farr Drive School. So we raced on a Saturday night, hired the track out on a Sunday at Toowoomba, and he essentially helped us there. Mm. And, um, you know, we'd speak to him at times at the track and whatnot. And I think as a family, we've gotten a lot out from the sport. So it was sort of some way to give back to it mm. as well, putting him in. Uh, and not to mention, obviously, how it can benefit me as well in terms of he's driving the exact same car I am, the racer's mindset that he has. Um, and then I suppose just building friendship that we sort of had. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's cool now that he, that he's in our other car. Yeah. And you've, um, a lot of people know that you've gone from carts to sprint cars, but to get into Speedway, didn't you give a bit of, you were thinking about giving legend cars a go or did you race any other, any other support classes before you gave sprint cars a go to adjust to adjust or did you just hop straight in? No, I was straight, straight into sprint cars. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that, that oh, was, um, I, was just, yeah. I was just looking at old messages thinking that you'd done something else. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, we thought about it, um, again at the time when we we're just racing senior carts, you know, yeah. do we step into wingless, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we just jumped straight into sprint cars. Yeah. You're just pretty hungry from the get go. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you think about now? Obviously like Valvoline Raceway shut and it's just abandoned really. What's your, what's your, your memory, like racing there to seeing what it is now? Like, are you just disappointed that it's still not there? Or are you happy <laughs> that Eastern Creek Raceway or Speedway's come onto the scene? I think we probably haven't been in Speedway enough to appreciate how good Valvoline Raceway was mm. in history. For me, obviously, that's it's just the process of life that, unfortunately, you know, things get demolished, and and I've heard rumours that it's actually not even getting used for what it is now. That land, yeah, it's got nothing right. to do with uh, the transport apparently, and it's it's yeah. being sold to put units on, which obviously that's sad because yeah. the whole purpose of it wasn't. In saying that, though, I do say that's obviously what history is for, and mm. and photos, memories, videos, they they'll never disappear. Yeah. Um. So, all that part will stay stay around forever for a lot of people. Yeah, obviously Eastern Creek's really exciting, and I think just for motorsport in general, the fact that it's in would have to be the biggest motorsport hub in yeah. Australia at, at the moment. Yeah, yeah, at City Motorsport Park is really cool. So I'm definitely looking forward to yeah ripping around there. You were actually at the launch, weren't you? How did you find that with the cameras and all that? Yeah, that was cool just to see. Obviously, the ministers and that there see what they paid for. I think it's hard for them because obviously they never really build racetracks often, let alone mm. speedways. So I think their somewhat perception is, it's like obviously I, I took it, look at it as if when they build a football stadium, they build the stadium, they can cut the rope and play yeah. the first match and it can be a great match where it's not really the case for Speedway when there's so much work to do. And I think that's why we're seeing this delay now where they sort of thought it was done at the end of last year and now we're still obviously a couple of months in and they're still waiting for handover. Yeah. Is, it, is it fully is it fully finished now though, or is it still still getting completed? Uh still getting it's still with um, New South Wales Transport or whoever's building yeah, it. So it still okay. actually hasn't even been handed over officially. Yeah. So I think it's there's so much more to then obviously just putting a dirt yeah. um, circle yeah. um, in these tracks. So, but in saying, I don't think time's the biggest thing. We've waited this long, so mm. yeah, let's make it right and and see what comes of it. Yeah. So when you were as as you were touched on before before you were going to either choose go-karts or, or cars like Formula Ford and stuff. What was your aspect of choosing sprint cars over like essentially what I do, Formula Ford racing and, and supercars and whatnot? What was, your, what was your aspect with all that to go two different route, routes? But obviously you're happy now with, with what you're doing. 
Yeah, we're, we're definitely happy. I definitely wouldn't change what I'm doing now. I suppose mm. there's somewhat of a stone left unturned in terms of where I was because who I was racing against in juniors competitive against was Hazelwood, Anton, mm. James Golding. So it's sort of, it's not a tough pill to swallow, but it's sort of what could have been. Yeah. For us at that point, dad's business was obviously probably 10 years younger. Mm. Um, so it was a lot different. And we always thought at that point, we've got enough money to do Formula Ford state series yep. and probably even national series without any other backing. And we essentially sat down and said the cold hard facts. I can win both of them year one and year two, but you don't have enough money to get me to Dunlop series at that point. Yeah. So I said to dad, what's the point? Are we going to leave it up to chance yeah. that you invest all this money? And yeah. then we just say, we don't have a backup. Sorry. And just, you know, yeah. and then, quits. Yeah. And unfortunately you've seen that probably mm. through former Ford. I'm sure you can probably see some people that yeah. through the kitchen sink at it. I've heard stories that our parents took second mortgages on houses to do another year in yeah. national series formula Ford. Cause it was so critical yep. 10 years ago to perform in it. And then where are they now? Like it's, it's yep. sort of scary. So we sort of thought for the money that we're going to spend in formula Ford at that point, we can essentially own all the, all the sprint car equipment race week to week. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, we still have something that we can sell. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point I seen, I think uh, Nick Tanney was a team that sort of bought his own car. Yep. yep. And, and I rated him as a real ta- talented driver, but I just think you can't compare when you're racing with teams, you know, mm. synergy. Did you get any quotes from any teams just to see, just to match up your racing career out of carts or not? Yeah, we, um, we actually spoke to Anglo a bit. So I think that's yeah, who. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's the team yeah, I race for. Yeah. yeah. So we actually did one test with them um, early days. Mm. And look, I would have loved it. That was awesome to drive one of them it was so much fun i'm sure you know and that's yeah why <laughs> that's why it. i still do it just, just every now and then yeah, yeah. um but, but it's just so hard to make that step when you yeah. don't know what's going to come of it um so you always got to take your hat off to all those people that yeah. try and and you got to think the next level up to people i suppose what anton did joey's done it mm. um and you got a fair few others now in europe doing it let alone to do that step but then to like you know move halfway across the world Mm. potentially give up on schooling all those things to pursue a dream it's it's a massive it's a yeah. massive gamble i suppose yeah because it can't it either can pay off or it can't i want to know a bit about your numbers you, everyone knows you're number 56 yeah but you actually ran number 78 in go-karts what was the, why was it why was the change going on there so 78 was um dad's number yep so that's why i always ran that number and then when we actually moved to senior karting at for rotax pro tour we had to register a number so i couldn't have 78 Mm-hmm. So we chose eight and ironically I ended up loving number eight because at that time I was, I was really, really close with um, Joey Mawson Yep, and um, Berto had a big thing about no corners on numbers. So yeah. it was supposed to be a lucky number <laughs> and then I won with it. So yeah, that was number eight. And then when you go into sprint cars, it's a similar thing. People have numbers for years and years. There's numbers that are reserved for uh, life members and those sorts of things. And when we leased the car off Savile, he actually always had 56 registered. So yeah, we didn't right, have to wow. pay another fee just to do five races. So essentially we just inherited it yep. and uh, stuck with it. And yeah, I don't, don't mind it now. What, what's Glenn, what's Glenn doing now? Do you actually know? Um, I'm not sure. I think last I seen, he still does um, the odd races here or there. And I, and I know he still does it pretty cool. He does it like totally by himself. Mm. Um, I think just him and his partner, to be honest. Mm. Um, so has a bit of fun at Knoxville or sometimes in America, you can literally take the wing off the sprint car and race him as wingless. Yeah. Right. So he's over same, in America. Yeah. So yeah. same engine and everything. So, yeah, I think he does a bit of that from time to time. Yeah, and you've um, you've everyone knows Anton De Pasquale. You've touched on him before, but you actually had a huge karting rivalry in 2010. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was um pretty big. I don't think I think that's uh 
long gone for him now and his <laughs> achievements. Um, but yeah, at the time he was just in an absolute league of his own. Yep. Uh, won the national title, won every single state title besides the one that I won at Newcastle. Um, yeah. Ironically, he actually sailed into the last corner in the wet, mm. knocked me off the track. I ran second and the officials reversed it. Yeah. So it somewhat wasn't our fault, obviously, at that time. You know, we were backing to yep. try and get a win. It's never the way you want to win something, but for him to lose the only, you know, I yeah. suppose it's like a, yeah. a clean sweep. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously – he was really sad at the time. I doubt he'd ever remember it now. Um, but yeah, that was obviously, that was a big thing at that point. Yeah. Do you keep in contact with much of the karting mates? Obviously not myself, but guys who are in supercars and stuff, do you talk to them much on social media or just more, you just keep to yourself and your family? Um, a little bit recently, um, had a bit of obviously talking with the Kostecki's being at Speedway, seen Hazelwood a little bit. Yeah. Um, haven't, haven't spoken to Anton at all. Mm. Um, yeah, they're obviously got so much going on and it's really cool to see how well they're all doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose Hazelwood a bit, it's pretty cool. He's really down to earth and whatnot. And again, another one, it's so cool to seeing they're just working for it continually. So people like that, you just want to see them be successful. Yeah. How'd you, um, how'd you, obviously your dad's into shop fitting, but how'd you get into your porn shop business? Cause I tried to buy a <laughs> PS5 off you, which was gone in like yeah. three seconds. How'd you get involved in that business? What made you think that? So I actually, um, that was my casual job whilst I was at uni. Yep. And then the owner of that. Uh, company always joked around and said, oh, you and your dad should open up a franchise, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, one day I went to dad with the crazy idea yeah. to do it. Um, so it was really ironic. It's really left the field, but um, it's a really cool job. It's always, it's always different. You know, the most common question is obviously, is it like what you see on TV? Because all those shows are pretty popular now. It is a little bit different, but we get some cool stuff in. They always say being porn broker, it yeah. won't make you a millionaire, but it'll make you feel like a millionaire because you get if you sell enough ps5s you'll be right <laughs> yeah you get access to you know new game consoles yeah limited edition stuff um all those sort of collectibles so yeah obviously a fair bit cheaper than retail so yeah, yeah what's, cool. what's the weirdest thing you've had in your pawn shop um, <laughs> we're on a podcast here so we can talk some shit <laughs> and actually i get asked that question all the time and it's so hard to come up with an answer with yeah is there has there been any like playboy <clears throat> mags and stuff like that come through yeah actually i had a signed a uh, photo from Alexis, Texas. Yeah. Um, but again, obviously, it's one of those things that you don't know how it's real. Yeah. You have some seedy guys selling it to you. You get a bit scared as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was a, a strange one, early days. Yeah, there's so many, but my head's always consumed with so much that's going on at work that you sort of yeah. let him slip. I need to write him down, I think. <laughs> um, so you've um, raced, obviously, at Sydney Speedway, and a lot, of, a lot of the people that go there and have watched Sydney Speedway, the Avalon Raceway, knew the Americans came over. How did you find as a rookie racing the Americans at the start? At the start, so again, my very first race, I rolled out with Steve Kinzer. Yep. He lapped me in uh, eight laps of a 10-lap heat race. When you start, the night just feels so chaotic, crazy. Mm. Um, so you don't actually even take much time to watch anything mm. else. Uh, it was probably in more recent years that you just see how dominant they are because you're actually at a speed where you're closer to them. Mm. You, you race them a lot more. You're in the same main event as them. so. Their commitment and whatnot's just like second to none. It's crazy. Yeah. How what? How do you find? Um. There's a few big races that I remember. How do you find racing the Dali? Like for that, was that was that a big event in for the back of the pits? Really? Yeah, it was massive. So one of our main crew members, uh, Andrew Johnson, he actually was really close with Scott back in the day, and he's been helping us for pretty much from my second year onwards, mm. preparing the car and whatnot. So he he had a real close uh, relationship with the Dalis. So that race had always, you know, held a big place in his heart and whatnot. And ironically, he actually used to help Mitch Dumsney before 
His uh, yeah, Mitch um, yeah. stopped racing. And for some reason, that was a bogey race for mm. for Scary. We call him Scary. So um, yeah. he's not really Scary, but it's just a name. I haven't really asked him any questions. Yeah, Why yeah. would you just call him just go with the nicknames? Yeah. yeah. So that was a race that he'd never made the main event. And the very final year, 10-year uh, anniversary, we made the main event finally. So that was really cool. I suppose mm. to give that back to him. For that race, you get a plaque to, to win it. And we actually gave that to him. Sorry, you get a plaque to start it, start the main event. Uh, we gave that to him. So that was, yeah, a pretty cool moment. Yeah. For that. In 2016, can you touch a bit more on like you racing, for, was it 17 races per year? And then you're going from, you're racing New South Wales and Queensland, was it? Like at yeah. that stage? So can you explain a bit more about that? So at that point, any racetrack that's in your backyard, it's easy to do it. The costs are so much lower. Yeah. So we started venturing out. Mm. Valvoline Raceway didn't have a wall, so it was so unique. Uh, it was one of those tracks that the people at Valvoline were, were so good. doesn't matter who came. Mm. Um, the local guys would be up the front. But then when you went away from Valvoline Raceway, it was really hard to get used to other tracks. So we ventured up to Queensland, uh, started racing Toowoomba, and that was part of they, – they created the Ultimate Sprint Car Championship, which was a cool initiative back in the day. Mm. Probably lost traction in later years. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we started racing Toowoomba and, and just gaining experience heading up down the road. But, again, at that point, you're, you're still early days. So any time you travel, it pretty much doubles your expenses for, for a weekend. Yep. So we so we sort of kept it to a minimum. Was Troy Farley there for most of your career at Parramatta? Is he still going to help you even at Eastern Creek? Uh, so Troy Farley actually never stopped after after karting. Yep. We still see him a bit because uh, he's obviously got close relationships with the Adards and they're heavily mm. invested in Speedway. So we do see him at um, at at the Speedway. But essentially, once we got out of uh, karting, he, he no longer helped us. Yep. Yeah. Did he, um, have you... Do you have any like friends and stuff like that in the pits or any rivalries that they, that have gone on over the years that you that you remember? Uh there've there've been a couple I suppose we like to, you know, always clean them up as quick yep. as you can. I suppose you get to a point where it's back to how hard sprint cars are to race. The mm. adrenaline's just next level. You're just wheeling things. Mm. And it's probably one of the probably close to NASCAR in terms of how much you bump, you know, the rivalries, the pit arguments are ten times more than what yeah. Um, circuit racing is, I suppose. Yeah. And there's the other thing that I suppose someone in the pits that, you know, if you bark too much, people actually aren't afraid to, to get physical where it's pretty, yeah, right. pretty rare. Well, Robbie probably hasn't made many friends, has he? Yeah. Sometimes every now and then. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a thing where it's back to that center thing. If, if you're not going for chances, mm. like you literally just get left behind. And that was similar to my accident on the weekend. It was probably a low percentage maneuver, but when you're coming from the back, due to another accident that we dropped the heat on points, you come from the back. If you don't take advantage of those positions and move forward quickly or make really aggressive moves, mm. um, you just don't get to the front. Mm. And I think why the rivalries start, just how sprint cars work and the slide jobs you actually make and whatnot, you sometimes make moves that you force the other person to either break or you both crash. Yeah, okay. And, and that obviously leads to a lot of rivalries. Yeah, one was actually Max, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if he brought <laughs> it up. Again, it was just one of those racing deals you get so... Caught. He did in the moment. Yeah. And it was pretty minor, but essentially he slid me. Uh, this was over Christmas period. I think we're running fourth and fifth. Yeah. Uh, this is when it was the hot, hot days, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 He'd just been with a new team. So obviously for the fact that he's running really well, he mm. wants to run well and, and everyone's just been aggressive, right? Mm. Um, for me, running in a top five over a Christmas period with Americans there, that's really big. So I want yep. to make the most of my opportunities as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, he slid me. I ran off the track. We bumped and then... Uh, yellow came on for actually someone else. Mm. So on the roll around lap, I caught up to Max and um, yeah. ran into the back of him and spun him round. Yeah. Uh, at that point, um, I got black flagged immediately and Max actually 
popped out of his car waiting for me to come back around. Yeah, right. So I, no I, I, pull in, I pull into the pits. I'm still sitting in my car waiting for my crew to come get me. One of his crew members come down and is like punching my wing and it, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Wow. Um, <laughs> then obviously, you know, Max gets out of the pits. It's all, it's all happening. That got called over pretty quick. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I reached out to Max the next day. Yeah. It was obviously something that I wasn't proud of how I controlled my emotions at that point. But I suppose at some point you got to show that you're not mm. happy with how you're raced. And um, yeah, I still get along really good with Max. I think we both, both teams copped a $500 fine or something and yeah, right. somewhat of a warning because one of those things you don't want. The, the sport's got to nip it in the butt at some point. It's, mm. it's pretty easy for it to escalate can, pretty bad. Can you explain, because obviously sprint cars don't get a lot of TV time. That's why I'm bringing sprint car drivers yeah. on the podcast, right? Can you explain like how to get into sprint cars and how the, the track changes and certain setups, just so like the general listener who wants to go out there can hear a bit more in depth of how that all works. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the big reasons why sprint cars has never taken off is it doesn't do it justice on TV. Um, I actually personally don't even like watching it on TV. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then vice versa, I believe there's no better form of motorsport than speedway mm. uh, when you're there and how good it can be. Opposed to, I love watching supercars on TV, but um, as far as besides the spectacle and the atmosphere, I, so- I sometimes think depending on what corner you're on or what track, the mm. racing itself isn't actually as good. So, um, yeah, with sprint cars, one of the hardest parts or one of the, the weirdest parts to adapt is the consistency. Yep. And that's because the tracks uh, play, um, that they obviously soak and, and, and get it really wet, which is really grippy. And depending on how hot it is and the amount of cars that go on it, that essentially turns to dust yep. and gets slippery yep. and ends up being that you're on an ice skating ring. So the changes that you have to make from heat race to heat race are huge mm. um, and can change from, you know, my crew can watch a race before me and literally make a, a really big change uh, 20 seconds before we go out just from what's happened to the track yeah, and those right. sorts of things. So that makes it really hard. And that was probably the hardest thing to adapt from yeah. circuit racing because, yeah, there is track evolution, rubber going down, yeah. cloud cover, all those sorts of things, but it's just exaggerated so much in the speedway world. Yeah. Didn't you actually accidentally pop a tire when you were first getting into sprint cars, like when you were grading the tires? Yeah. So what's a bit with the grading tires? Like how's that all work? Yeah, so tires are really, really big how you work the tires. So at the start of the night, you'll look to put a lot of grooves into the tires mm. given that at the start of the night the track's the most wet. So essentially you want fresh edges to yep. um, get get traction. Um, and yeah, early days I was grooving a tire and, and you try and groove them to different lengths at different times. And essentially I went on the side of the tire and popped a brand new tire. So that didn't go down yeah. too well. Um, <laughs> and then later in the night, it's all about getting the tire to work. So mm. you, have a, you have over 900 horsepower mm. just spinning a tire like crazy that it's really common for tires to blister just from surface heat that aren't getting traction. Mm. So you'll work the tire in a different way that you'll put like thin razor blade cuts through a tire to try and open it up to let the heat get out yeah, and okay. get the tire working. So it's so kind of like a drag car in a way, sort I, of. I or think not so. I'm not sure exactly what drag cars do. Yeah. Um, it, could, it could be the same sort of siping, but yeah, it's really, really critical because the minute tires are blistered, it's, it's like you're better off having nothing on there really. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you've, you've gone from like, Ultimate sprint car. Um, how did that all come about? Because it just randomly just popped up and then Parramatta Speedway was pretty much ultimate sprint car. So how did that, do you know anything, the back the backstory behind that whole championship? Yeah, so that was um, at that point that you had Barry Waldron who owned Toowoomba Speedway, Murray Bridge Speedway and Valvoline Raceway. Mm. And they had um, Wade Aldra who's done so much for Speedway and, and uh, promotion mm. across the country. And then you had a left of field, media guy called Steve May come into Speedway who knew nothing about it. So 
Yep. His approach was really cool to give sprint cars a branding. Yep. And their whole philosophy behind it was they wanted sprint cars to have a brand mm. attached to it, not just, oh, you race 14 sprint cars. Because to the uh, standard Joe, they don't know what that is. Yep. And it's no different to somewhat now you just call it, call them supercars. Yeah. They're not a sedan, yeah. Commodore or, or whatever they are. That It's just called supercars. It's a series. Yep. So I think that was their philosophy, trying to get a brand. Um, so what do you race? Uh, race ultimate sprint cars. In a yep. sense, that was their logic behind it. And I think it worked for a while. It's just obviously like everything, it gets to a point where you know, the decision is this working and is the funding. Yeah. Did you, did you find it? it pretty cool though? Like even I found it cool. Like there was you, Maxi, and all the guys I raced carts against stick it onto like around the track. Did you find it pretty like cool at that point? Because I would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that part was always really, really cool. And that's been a real cool part about Speedway. Like the fan interaction mm. is massive. Um, and to a lot of diehard Speedway fans, you're yep. Anton Di Pasquale. Yeah. Jamie Winkup. For some, obviously, I'm not the Jamie yeah. Winkup of it. But there, there are drivers, you know, Robbie Fars. Yeah. The Craig Lowndes of Do you get a thrill really. out of selling shirts at the back of your truck? <clears throat> It is cool. I've loved the fan interaction as well. Yep. Um, I've always, you know, prided myself that I want to be a life driver as well. So yep. to get somewhat of a fan following and see that improve with results is, is something that's pretty cool as well. Yeah, you've also, well, that's what I was going to lead to. The fan following actually during lockdown brought to your own sim sport team. How did that all happen about? Yeah, yes. That was just pretty random and out of the blue. Yeah, so I've always done a bit of iRacing stuff when I found time. Probably not enough of iRacing stuff for the money I Warranted yeah, off a so I don't even have a sim, yeah. so that's what I'm asking about. Yeah, it. so um, we met it. We had a friend that used to help us in Queensland, Brady Baldwin, and he actually um, had a really bad crash just before lockdown started at the start of 2020. Yeah, and um, yeah, he had a big halo brace on for over six months. So wow, he once he got some movement back, he was really big into the sim racing and and speedway mm. that was on that, and he essentially started, you know do you care if I use your car designs? And he worked for us, so that was always cool. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, he's like, oh, I've got some friends that want to join it. Do you, do you care if we use your name for yeah. the sim team? Um, so, yeah, let it go. And it was, it was always a bit of fun when I used to hop on that. I will have different setups and that, which would help me out. So, yeah, you know, something different. Yeah. So, what about coming to the end of the podcast now? Obviously, you've done your whole thing, what we've spoken about, and you said World, World Series Sprint Cars was just a massive change. Is that like essentially for you like was that is that the supercar series of australia like is that like the supercars of sprint cars for australia yeah it would be in terms of series yeah local racing is always tough it's not there's no real category that you can go to like an easy race mm. in terms of sprint cars um but world series sprint cars you're up against full professional teams on the road you know the series starts in um south australia and you race three nights in a row yeah uh then you got to drive to to melbourne you have one night off, then you drive to Warnable, and you literally finish Warnable at midnight on the 1st of January and you had to be in Queensland on the 3rd of January to race two oh, nights. Holy shit. And it's just the, the How did you and your old man find the like the tolerance to do that? Oh, uh, dad, dad just is in unique breed and runs <laughs> off two hours sleep and, and thinks that's all he needs. <laughs> Plenty so, of Red Bulls, eh? Yeah, I think so, and <laughs> coffees and whatnot. So <laughs> I remember getting to um, Archerfield Speedway Yep. Um, in those two days and we were just so tired. Like yeah. it was just so hard. And then you you have you have like a week break off while I race the classic and whatnot. Mm. And then we're in Tasmania. And then when you get off the boat in Tasmania, you've got a week then to drive to Perth. Yeah. And race it. So you get off the boat uh on a Tuesday morning, you get access to your truck. Mm. And then you've got to be in Perth on Friday night to race. Holy shit. How so, do you find um obviously racing around the country? 
what was your favorite um speedway tracks outside of Parramatta Speedway as you gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and it, it just escalated? What was the the big the big part for you with the with the tracks? The coolest part to go to was Perth Motorplex. Yeah, okay. That was was it Warnable? Warner was a really cool racist track, but as far as the spectacle, the pits, the track itself, mm. um, yeah, Perth Motorplex was just mm. unreal. How do they run their promotion over there? Because they're they're literally like at the moment they are Perth Alia, yeah. right? But how do they how do they run their deal compared to like the, the other tracks that you've been to to keep their amount of sprint cars going and on the track? I'm not too sure in terms of the the fine things and how they run it. I know they really make the drag scene sprint car thing work which yeah. is just like i said cool for motorsport in general i know there's certain nights where you can literally they'll do like burnouts on one side and then have a half an hour break all the fans will go across to the other side and watch sprint car racing yeah right um, wow yeah which is really really cool i think it's numbers wise in perth there's not a lot of sprint cars i think they might average like 25 a night yep in saying that though there's probably like 12 really really solid mm. drivers out of that so um yeah they make it work for all the way outside of the country. What it is. What's the difference for listeners? Why isn't like the classic, like kind of like the Knoxville Nationals, not the national title, but why is the national title a different race in itself? The the classic's just crazy. Like just, it's just something that just continually gets bigger. And it's one of those races that are just so hard to win. You literally have to be perfect the whole weekend. And I suppose it just keeps people coming back every single year. Yeah. Um, it's now obviously paying more and more prize money to win, which attracts... Mm. Uh, more people, but yeah, it's definitely, I reckon if you were to genuinely ask 90% of the field, mm. would they prefer to win Australian title or the classic, they'd choose a classic. Yeah, right. Um, and I know, I remember hearing an interview when Jamie Ville won the classic, he said he wanted that more than the Australian title. Yeah. I reckon myself, I'd probably be one of those people that I'd choose the number one over the classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, for just, the go-kart feels. Yeah, for the go-kart feels. But in saying that, being at the classic again, it's just so much goes into it. You've got, so many heat races that are inverted. It's 12 points a position. Yeah. Um, so you're essentially highest on points and you've got a guy that's 50th on points that's starting at the front of the heat. Mm. Um, but that can equate to like 64 points difference. Yeah, right. So it's such a brutal foot. There's been so many years that the, the guy that's essentially scheduled to start on the pole for a 30 grand to win race mm. has one heat race. He's got to come from the back. He doesn't move forward, might finish sixth, and he ends up starting the A main like seventh or eighth. Yeah, right. How's the purse work in? Uh, it only happens in speedway. How's the purse work per race? Do you, do you get do you get much money back when you make the A main or not really? On local shows, not really. You might get like three hundred bucks to start the A main. I yep. think the classic was fifteen hundred this year to start the A main. Yeah, look, it's nothing. You're not going to make a career out of it, really, unless you. I suppose you're not going to make money out of it with the amount of money you're spending. But again, yep. for us, back on that family decision, it all helps, right? We're getting some some yeah. money back that's aiding it. I think the the year that we won, we might have totaled a uh, total of maybe like 28,000 prize money. Yeah. Um, so it's not huge, but again, it still helps. It still helps the team yeah, going. Yeah. Tick, tick it over. And, yeah. and again, obviously when you have, you put Robbie in the car, it does, again, we're never going to make money by mm. putting someone else in a car, but he runs well. It all helps to at least, you know, get close to covering the running expenses and stuff. And Robbie essentially this year or lately because of COVID, has been your backup for Aaron Rizal. How did that whole deal come about with, with the crazy American? Yeah, so um, <laughs> that was really weird. I actually just literally messaged him on Facebook. I was no he way. ran the same cars as us. I messaged his racing page and was like, "Yeah, hey, man, we've got this. Do you want to come and race? And yeah. I know he did a lot of research on us because it's a big thing in America. You don't want to fly halfway across the world and get to something and it's not as good as what it looks because it's pretty easy to make a car. 
look good with some stickers. Yeah, so he we got talking to him and, and he came out and that was a, a blast of fun and and um yeah, hopefully once everything turns back to normal he can come out and do a Christmas period out here as well. Did he teach you much when he was with your teammate, like Robbie, or not really? His setup was crazy different. He did some really left of uh field things. Mm. We've used some of them, but again, I think it's just you just see all these guys, what they've all got in common that are good is just their commitments just second to none. It's just yeah. crazy. Um, so just, yeah, getting the confidence in yourself to get to that level. The good part for me is you see you have drivers in your stuff. Now, I suppose you can take it two ways, right? You can see these guys, Robbie, run at the front, right to win in our cars, and I can say to myself, I'm not doing well. Yeah. But I look at it is the confidence that our stuff's good enough for us to win. Yeah. I keep working on myself. There's no reason why we can't get there. So Does you and, Do you and your dad work? Now, literally coming to the end of the podcast, does you and your dad get a, a thrill out of running a team and running Robbie and Aaron, for example? Like, do you get just as much as, much as a, of a rush, like racing them at a certain meeting? Yeah, it definitely, definitely does. Dad loves it yeah. as well. And I think it's just the friendships that you build and the, it's just literally just fun yeah. around a big group of guys. So, yeah, as long as we can afford it, we'll keep doing it yeah. um, where it is. They both know, obviously, their deals aren't. Concrete, you know, Dad said to both of them, my racing always comes first. Mm. Um, but, yeah, wherever we can, especially all the Eastern Creek stuff, we'll definitely run two cars with both Robbie and myself. What are you hoping for in the Eastern Creek season? I want to run up the front. That's, yep. that's a big aim. I, I, I really feel like we can. I just It's been a big thing through my whole career, piecing a whole night together. So we've got to the stage where we could qualify up the front but then didn't run well in the A-Main. Mm. Um, so, yeah, hopefully – if we can be a consistent top 10 car and I suppose for the whole year, go anywhere in the country and make the main event mm. away from our home base, that's probably the, the game. The track's quite, quite different as you, cause you were first on it compared to Valvoline Raceway. Yeah. Is it really <coughs> flat? Like what's the track actually look like from a driver's point of view? No, nah, it's not flat. Those no. photos are just really deceiving. Okay. Um, it's actually got a fair bit of banking in it. The craziest part is it is so wide. Yeah. Like I'll be so shocked if someone's ever actually ripping the fence. Yeah, um, right. but I think a track being that wide, it should put on good racing. So yeah, yeah, that's that's um, yeah. hopefully what it is anyway. Yeah. What do you find about the obviously the, obviously the, for for non speedway fans, the entry and exit point? It's a bit odd the way they've done their entry and exit, isn't it? Like, there, is it a certain way you got to get off and on the track? Or there was some people come like talking about it, you know? Yeah, I think they did that in terms of like the speed of the night, but obviously they're limited to wherever the pits are, the pit gates have to be. Mm. And because they're in those positions there, I suppose there was somewhat complaints regarding time trials can be a lengthy process because it's only a couple of cars at a time. Have 60 cars there, it can take a fair yeah. while. So it's really critical to get cars on and off the track as quick as you can. So that'll be, you know, potentially longer than at other tracks. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. We've got a $70 million speedway in our backyard, so there's not too much to complain about. Can you, com- can you compare any of your karting days to your speed? TSB days or not? I've heard the Rotax is quite similar with the power on and off. That's what Maxi said. So um, similar to some extent, um, yep. but again, they're just such a different, different um, beast. The biggest thing that I found so different to karting is karting. You always go off your apex, sort of your, where your you know front tires are. You need to hit apexes or any sort of road car. Mm. The sprint car is so determined to where your right rear is. Yeah, because that's where you need that tire either up against the cushion in the more tackier clay. Where for me, trying to work out where that is was really, really hard. I reckon the race, racing-wise of um, sprint cars is literally like club and light spec. 
Yeah, right. Just up on the wheel, Eastern Creek, yeah. pass or be passed. Yeah. Brian um, Farley spec? Yeah, that's yeah. sort of spec. Do like, you remember that race? Yeah, unreal. <laughs> they, were, they were unreal every single year. Yeah, that was a good race. Do you remember Do you, Do you? you remember your time at North Shore Kart Club? Because karting's changed quite a bit, and I yeah. think you were leaving as karting was changing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The doing era came in. Yeah. Do you remember much of that whole period, like of the North Shore Kart Club and obviously – KA going away and they're all splitting and there's like five freaking yeah I'd, divisions. Down. I've lost it all, um, which is a shame because again you probably still remember standard club day karting, whether to be at Eastern mm. Creek, the North Shore Kart Club, or Lithgow. You go up on the board, see where you're starting for your three random grid heats. Yeah, I feel like that was just real racing. Like yeah. you had fast guys starting all over the place. You just had to, you know, jam it coming down the hill. I love those days, and and it like you said, it did start to change just as we went out. And now when I look back on it, I feel like they're, they're, they're doing something good, but they're obviously losing losing the, yeah. what it used to be anyway. Yeah, it's a lot more like lesser, lesser dense field now. Yeah. What's the most nervous you've actually felt? I've, you've probably listened to some of my podcasts. Joe's most nervous felt for him was in a go-kart. For you, was it in a go-kart, a sprint car, or like driving from like one state <laughs> to the next? Or what was? Uh, mine would be Rotax National starting on the pole. Yep. Because that year I actually – Clean swept everything at the Victorian Open at Puckapunyal. Got the start and essentially every other driver had a thing that they just had to jam me on the start. Otherwise, I was going to run away with it. And Brendan Nelson did that and I lost that race. Yeah. So on that start, I was just so nervous to get the start. I literally got through turn two where they jammed me last time and I said to myself, I'm going to win this race now. <laughs> I just knew I had to get through turn two. So that was definitely the most nervous I've been. Was your dad hard on you in your go-karting days before? Obviously, massive. Was he was. Massive. He, he's still a massive hard-ass. I think because obviously he just wants the best for me. He's mm. got a racer's mind as well, so mm. we would clash a lot. He'd only obviously ever want the best for me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he was always like really, really hard. Yeah. How do you keep – like how do, you, how do you keep – for testing for, uh, for me, for example, in my Formula Ford racing, I would go from like – I'll go to a go-kart track and buzz around a, a Rotax, right, for you. Yeah. Do you feel that temptation to buy a go-kart again and just have fun or do you just want to stick to the whole 410 operation at the moment? No, I, we've spoken about it heaps to buy, buy a cart mm. um, and just have a rip around. But I think it's, it's time's the biggest thing with, with the two, with dad's business, um, the shops, mm. where it's struck for time as it is. I think we kept our KZ2 shifter cart for a while, which was a blast of fun. Yeah, I was but about it, to bring that up. That's, yeah, that's good. It's, yeah, it's one of those things that's like, it's not the most simple cart just to, you know, go to the Butterfly Farm or Lithgow or something and just have a quick. Mm. go because there's so many changes you need to make to it and the tuning so that's why we pretty much got rid of that yeah what was your favorite go-kart class out of the whole lot for you that would be it Um, yeah kz again it was one of those things that i didn't want to leave because i felt like i never mastered it yeah we struggled a lot in it but yeah as far as like just how that how hard they were to drive power to weight ratio all those things they were they were crazy as well. Who did you, before we, before we end the podcast, who did you idolize growing up in, like you said, you're a huge fan of supercars. Yeah. Was there any NASCAR drivers or F1 drivers, anyone that gave you inspiration to, you know, chase the dream? Uh, Schumacher was, was big. Ambrose in supercars was, was a big one, just how he won. But I think as I got older and, and junior career, and then obviously the whole thing of like the center movie coming out, just seeing how dedicated he was to his racing, that was really big for me Yeah. in, in um, my racing career. Yep. So before we go, what are your what are your thoughts for obviously we've said before at Eastern Creek, what are your thoughts on trying to like conquer and win another A main at the new track? Yeah, I'm def that's definitely a, a goal. I'm looking at it as that same thing. I always idolise the blue paint in go karts. You get it, but you just don't settle. 
Yeah. Um, so I really, really want to win another A main and, and make it a more regular thing. It's a thing that's so hard, but I feel like you get chances and you just have to capitalize on them because you don't know whether when they're yeah. going to come around again. And we managed to do that once. We just need to put ourselves in a position and yeah, hopefully can bag another dub. Can you suggest any sprint car or speedway racer that you should that should come on this podcast after you? Um, Do you want to name anyone on the plate that they can hopefully they hear this? Oh, I'm trying <laughs> to think. I'm trying to think, Sydney. Do you reckon anyone anyone would come? Can you picture anyone coming on this podcast? Even if like even if I had to zoom them, for example. Um, I feel like Robbie Farr would would come on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Might have chat through his history. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> him and Brazza should get into yeah. that rivalry. Yeah, Brazzy's got some stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mick, I'm. Much appreciated for you coming on the podcast, dude. I know you took a lot of time out of your day and your shop to come over here and do that. Much appreciate it. Thanks, dude. No worries, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. To keep up to date with the podcast, follow us on social media. The links are all in the show notes.